Well, good morning, church. Hope that you are doing well. He is risen. Yeah, that's the third time I've seen that uh, testimony video with Mac and Chris, and it, it moves me every time. Just, I'm just stunned at the boundless power of Jesus. I mean, he can save anyone and, and all people uh, from their sins, and that's why we're here gathering on Easter Sunday to be able to celebrate that amazing truth. Um, as you can probably tell, I am very excited to preach today. I mean, this is Easter Sunday, so if you're a preacher and you don't like to preach on Sunday, you probably don't have a, a, uh, a pulse. So I'm going to pray just to kind of calm myself, and then uh, we'll dive in uh, to the passage together. God, we do stop and we praise you for Jesus. We thank you for uh, the new life and hope and forgiveness that we can have in and through him. Or the most amazing reality is what we celebrate today, that Jesus conquered the grave. And so, Lord, I pray that you would magnify his name this morning, that you would exalt the Lord Jesus. His name is above every other name. Help us to see that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, does anybody here wear contacts or glasses? Just raise uh, your hand. Yeah, a good, good number of us. I've worn contacts really my ad- whole adult life. And uh, I have to admit to you, I have a love-hate relationship with going to the optometrist. It's all on me, though. It's all on me. I'm a high achiever. Um, I'm very competitive. I find my worth in my performance. And so going to the optometrist, I feel like I'm losing every single time. Uh, what, what they do, if you've ever gone there, they, they put you in this chair, and on the far wall, there are these rows of letters. And they have you sit down and cover up one eye and they want you to, to kind of tell them what letter that you see. And so for me, I'm, I'm trying to win this game. I'm trying to beat them, even though it's not really a game. And so I cover up my eye. And, and the first row, like, they're huge letters. You know, like, you can see them. You know, C, T, E, and they say it with confidence. But with every row, it gets harder and harder. At the end of it, I'm, like, squinting. I'm kind of guessing, you know, st- you know like, hey, are you done guessing? Like, you know, you can, you can give up now, you know, because I'm trying to win this game. Well, then they move you into this other chair and they put this device over your eyes, and they show you different images, and they want you to tell them which image you see most clearly. Is it image one or two? Two or one? One or two? And I get to a point where, for me, I'm like, they're identical. Like, they look exactly the same. And so, again, I'm like sweating. I'm like, I'm losing this game. It's not a game. No, it's not. My word's in Jesus. Like, I'm Okay. And, and so, long story short, eventually, I, I finally got contacts right before going off to college. But before that, I would have told you that my, my vision was fine. I could see everything that I needed to see. It wasn't until I had a conversation with my brother, who got contacts a few months before me, that led me to go get my vision uh, checked. And I remember talking to him, we were outside, and I was like, man, I thought you could see just fine. Like, why did you get contacts? And he said, well, me too. But, but then he pointed to this, this area, the grass that was next to us. He goes, what do you see right there? And I was like, oh, that's grass. And he's like, yeah, but do you see the individual blades of grass? And I was like, oh, not, not really. And then he pointed to a tree that was some distance away. He's like, what do you see down there? And I was like, oh, that's a tree. He's like, well, yeah, but do you see the individual leaves on the branches of that tree? And it was in that moment that I realized that you can see something but not really see it. There's a difference between looking and seeing. Looking is a, is a physical act of, of turning your eyes onto an object. But seeing involves perception. 
Seeing involves the ability to interpret something that then leads to action. I share that with you this morning because you and I, we, we face the same challenge when it comes to seeing and knowing and believing Jesus with our spiritual sights. The challenge is to see him, but not really see him. To look at Jesus, but not really perceive his infinite worth. Right? To, to, to observe Jesus, but not in a way that leads to life change. So I just want to put my cards on the table this morning. just want to be fully transparent. I've been praying for Easter Sunday for several weeks now, and I've been praying for something very specific to happen in this room this morning. I'm praying for somebody in this room to have a similar experience spiritually as what I had physically when I got my vision corrected. And I'm praying for somebody today to come to this moment through the Spirit of God where you say to yourself, man, I don't just see Jesus, I actually see Jesus in all of his worth. That, that maybe you thought you saw Jesus, but, but you've realized, man, I've just been spiritually squinting. I, I thought I knew him, I thought I believed in him, I thought I could see him for all that he is, but now I'm convinced that I can actually see the Lord Jesus. I'm praying for that moment to happen to somebody in this room, or, or maybe you, you thought you could see, but all that Jesus was to you was just an idea, just a religious icon, and now today you can see Jesus as the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's dive in. Our passage this morning is from Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 15 uh, through 20 this morning. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, the Word of God reads this way. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body of the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. This is the word of uh, the Lord. You might be wondering, Chris, why did you pick this passage for Easter Sunday? Well, I would argue that there may not be another passage like this one that is so Jesus-centered. And part of my goal today, my, my purpose, is to flood this room with as much truth about who Jesus is. I, I want you to see him today. I want you to have a 2020 vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, not just that he rose from the dead, but all of these different aspects and powerful truths about Christ. And so if you notice, even in this passage, Paul doesn't just say Jesus is supreme or Jesus is powerful, or Jesus is king. No, what Paul does here is he connects the supremacy of Jesus to all kinds of different areas. There are nine, to be exact, nine I'm going to walk through. Again, I want to flood this room with as much truth about who Christ is. So we're going to walk through this passage, and in these nine areas, there are really two main categories, two main umbrellas 
in which we see the supremacy of Christ. Here's the first category, is that Jesus is supreme over creation. Verses 15 through 17, Paul says this in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So notice here the first area where he connects the supremacy of Jesus is he perfectly images God. That Paul declares here the unique and exclusive role that Jesus has in making the invisible God visible. That nothing in all of creation can perfectly fulfill this role, like Jesus, who images God and makes him known to us. In fact, this word image in verse 15 means a mirror-like representation. This word was often used in Paul's day to talk about a statue or a, a coin. For us, we would say something is, is HD. It, it has this high-definition projection of something. In fact, we get our word icon from this Greek word image in verse 15, that it exactly reflects its source in a way that doesn't imply any weakening or making a feeble copy of something. This is Jesus for us. Jesus perfectly images God. There's this amazing great European cathedral, and with it, it has this ceiling that is decorated with a painting of God in brilliant colors. It's absolutely stunning. The problem with this cathedral is that the ceiling was so high, and yet it was so narrow that visitors would walk in and they would crane their necks just to see this amazing picture, this amazing painting. And so what they did in this cathedral, they, they put a mirror at the ground level. So visitors that would walk in, they would look at this mirror and they would see that painting in all of its beauty and, and, and amazement. What Paul is declaring here in verse 15 is that Jesus is that perfectly pristine mirror showing us exactly what God is like. See, you and I, we're created in the image of God, but we don't do that. We do not share in God's incommunicable attributes, God's holiness, God's eternality. But there is one who does. There's one who perfectly represents all that God is. Jesus is the full explanation of God. In fact, listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, describe it this way, that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What this means practically for us is that if you want to know what God is like, just look to Jesus. There's no need anymore to spiritually squint or to, or to guess or to say to ourselves, man, I wish that God would just reveal himself to me. I wish he would just stop hiding. But the reality is, is that Jesus has revealed God, that, that all, all we need to do is look to Jesus and you know what God is like. If you want to know what, what truth is or what love is or what holiness is or forgiveness or compassion, look to Jesus. That without Christ, we cannot get beyond the shadows of God. That Jesus perfectly images him. Well, that's just the first area. We're just getting started here. The second one, still in verse 15, is that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. We actually get our word prototype from this Greek word. That Jesus is the, the prototype of all creation or the, the template by which all things have been created. Now, this does not mean that Jesus is part of creation, 
as if he was the first one created. No, verse 16 will tell us that he's the creator of all things. So this is not referring to first in order of creation, but first in rank of all creation. In other words, Jesus is supreme over all creation. But Paul continues, look at verse 16. He also describes Jesus as the source of all creation or or the creator of all things. It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That the Lord Jesus is the creator of the universe. John 1 affirms this as well. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creator. So every time you look at the sky in all of its beauty, you ask the question, who made that sky? Jesus made the sky. Like who, who flung the stars and the planets into the universe? Jesus did. <laughs> who, who scooped out the deep oceans? Jesus did. Who stacked up all of the mountains? Who who created every tree and flower? Who created you and me? Paul is saying, it's Christ. In fact, if everything, if every person had a label attached to it, if you had a label, if every mountain, every tree, every flower, every ocean had a label attached to it, it would all have the same phrase imprinted on it. It would say, made by King Jesus. He's the creator of all things. But there's more. Paul doesn't stop there in describing the supremacy of Christ. Remember, we want 2020 vision of Jesus. He says at the end of verse 16, Jesus is also the goal of creation. I'm sorry, I skipped one. He's the agent of all things, the end of verse 16. So he's not only the source, but he's also the means by which all things have been created. So Jesus is the creator of the physical world, of what we see, but also the invisible world, the spiritual realm, that he created all spiritual rulers and authorities and angelic beings, and they must all submit to Jesus. Just as every star in the sky, every raindrop, every sun that sets, so too every angelic and satanic being must submit and obey to King Jesus. But then the end of verse 16, we see that Jesus is also the goal of creation, that everything's been made for him, that he is the reason why you have been made, why I have been made. It's for his purpose, his pleasure, and his praise. Now, can we just stop for a moment and just reflect on who Jesus is? I mean, these are powerful, mind-blowing truths. I think when we understand the the intricacies of Jesus's power, both in the minute detail of what we see under a microscope and the vastness of what we see through a telescope, it should lead us to praise. Like your heart should be filled with awe and wonder that this is Jesus, Jesus is the creator of all things. He's the agent by which all things have been made. Everything has been made for Jesus. But Paul continues. There's more about Jesus in this passage. He's not only supreme over all creation because he created all things, 
but it's also because Jesus sustains all things. Look at verse 17. It says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Look, it's Jesus who holds every tiny molecule together. It's Jesus who holds not only the earth, but the entire universe in the palm of his hand. Why is it that winter, spring, summer, and fall all follow in its course? It's because Jesus is holding it all together. Why is it that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west? It's because of Jesus. Why is it that flowers continue to bud, bloom, fall, and fade? It's because of Jesus. He's the sustainer of all things. But that's not only true globally, that's also true personally about your own life. That Jesus is not only holding all things together over here, Jesus is holding your life together. Jesus is your sustainer. Like the all things in verse 17 includes you. Like you might as well put your name in the margin there of, of, of the things that Jesus is holding together. And so Jesus' preeminence and his supremacy and his complete omnipotent power does not negate his personal and intimate involvement and awareness of your life, that Jesus is sustaining you. Even when you don't realize it, he's holding your life together. That even when you're not depending upon him, he's sustaining you, that that's how good he is. Look, maybe you come in here on Easter Sunday and, and you would say, man, my life feels like it's falling apart. Maybe that's why you're here today, that, that you'd feel like things are just coming undone in your life today. Maybe you've been smacked in the face with the reality that, man, I just cannot control anything. Look, we're so glad that you're here if you're going through that right now, but maybe I can also point out to you isn't that part of God's kindness to, to help you understand that you can't control your life, that it's actually not you who's sustaining and holding your life together right now, that, that could it be God in his mercy that's leading you to this point in your life where you fully surrender, where, where you loosen that grip, that white knuckle death grip around your life, trying to control everything because you really can't. And just to entrust your life into the one who can. Like Jesus can sustain your life much better than you can. That could it be time for you to actually trust him to do it? And maybe let me share just a hard truth to you. Your life is not being held together because of your ability to hold it together. Your life is not being sustained because you're so neatly organized. Your life's not being sustained because your calendar is color-coded or because your finances are in order or because you've read every parenting book. No, what this passage is declaring, your life is being sustained and held together because of King Jesus, that Jesus is the only one whose power and very existence is not dependent on anything else in the universe. He is the self-sustaining one. Jesus is supreme over creation. Here's the second main category for us in verses 18 through 20. Jesus is also supreme over the church, over God's people. 
All right, so we've seen six specific areas where Paul connects the supremacy of Jesus. There are three more in verses 18 through 20. But notice verse 18, Paul talks about Jesus being the head of the body. What does he mean by that? Well, Paul's using a very popular metaphor to describing the church. There's all kinds of different images throughout the Bible about the church. We see, it, uh, we see the New Testament use images like a building or a family or a temple or an army. Paul's using body here to explain two realities. Uh, The first is to explain the complete dependence that the body, the church, has upon its head, Jesus. But then the second thing is to show Jesus' complete authority that he has over the church, over his body. That he has a unique and exclusive position being supreme over his people. But why? Why does Jesus have that kind of position? Well, there are three reasons here in verses 18 through 20, and this will get us to Easter. The first one, though, is because of his incarnation. Uh, Verse 19, it says, The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. This is the miracle of the incarnation, where this is why we celebrate Christmas every year that God dwelled in flesh among humanity, 100% God and 100% man. But then the second reason why Jesus has this kind of position is because of his death on the cross. Look at verse 20. It says, And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What does that verse mean? What this verse means is that Jesus did something 2,000 years ago that none of us could have done, that Jesus got up on a cross and he paid our penalty in order for peace with God to be a, a reality for us. And the reason why that's so important and so significant is because you and I, we have a sin problem, that we've, we've all offended our Creator We've all done things that we shouldn't have done. We've all said things that we shouldn't have said. We've all thought things that we shouldn't have thought. And the problem with that is that we've offended God, but also the just consequences for our sin is eternity separated from God. And that's just. That is what you and I deserve. And without Jesus... That's exactly where we are headed. That those consequences, for some of us in this room, that's exactly what you will experience unless you give your life to Jesus. And yet this is why Jesus is so amazing, is that he didn't leave us in that kind of position. That Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he stepped in and he accomplished something that none of us could have accomplished. That Jesus paid for our sin in full, that he paid the debts that we owed but could never repay. Jesus took our place on the cross, and he declared on the cross those three beautiful, powerful words, it is finished. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by it is finished? That everything that was necessary in order to pay for our sin is done, that he did all of the work for us, so that anyone who trusts in Jesus, you can have this peace with God. 
that you can be reconciled with your creator, that you can have this amazing relationship with God where he accepts you as his own. And look, it's amazing because like, you know the things that you've done. I know the sin that I've committed. Like, you know the sin that you've committed. The sin that, that has weighed you down, this guilt and this shame, this burden that's on all of our shoulders. Now, because of Jesus, it can be lifted off and we can experience freedom and forgiveness and acceptance with God. That's the only way to be reconciled with God. It's not your good works. Your, your good works do not outweigh your bad works within God's economy. That's not how it works. It's not that your good works erase your bad works. God's standard is perfection. And we've all fallen short of that standard. So salvation is not found within yourself. It's not found in your church attendance. It's not found in performing good deeds. Salvation is found in the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. And when you place your faith upon him and throw yourself and say, I am only saved because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection, that is the way of salvation. Now, why can Jesus offer this? Why does Jesus have the authority to reconcile? Well, it's because of the beauty of verse 18, and this will get us to the resurrection here. This is why we're here. It's Jesus' resurrection that he declares in verse 18 that he's the beginning, the firstborn, or the prototype from the dead. That Jesus actually sets the template of those who are in Christ, what we will experience one day when we rise from the dead. And so notice Paul's logic here. He's saying Jesus is preeminent. He's in a league all by himself, in a category all by himself because of his incarnation, because of the death on the cross, and now because of his resurrection. Look, without Jesus rising from the dead, Christianity is dead. Like we are fools if Jesus is still in the tomb. All of this is for nothing. All of this is a show if our Savior is still dead. But praise be to God, Jesus did not remain dead. That, that God raised him from the dead and Jesus is alive now and forevermore. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why today is such a big day. That if the cross of Jesus was the payment for our sin, then his resurrection is the receipt proving that the payment was accepted in full. That in Jesus' resurrection, he stared death in the face and conquered it once and for all. And just think about the resurrection and what that means for us. That, that resurrection that Jesus performed, that was a statement. That was a great announcement. Jesus was declaring that death did not win, that Satan was not triumphant, that sin was not more powerful than him, that death couldn't hold him down, sin couldn't bind him, and Satan could not defeat him. Jesus is the victorious lamb of God. He is reigning and ruling, and he has no rival. That's why we celebrate Easter Sunday. It's this announcement about his victory, 
But Easter and the empty tomb is also a declaration of hope. He is declaring that if your life feels completely undone, if you feel completely overwhelmed with your sin, if you're struggling with hopelessness, what the resurrection is, is is a statement that God can make you new. That the life that's even marred by sin and shame and guilt and rebellion, God, through Jesus and the grace that's available, he can cleanse you. He can forgive you. He can fill you with everlasting hope in him. And man, whose story did I just describe? Whose testimony did I just describe where you went from being dead in your sins to being made alive with Jesus Christ? And if I didn't describe your story here this morning, know this, that that can be your story, that that can be your reality, that maybe you walked in here dead in your sins and trespasses. Look, God can make you alive in Christ. And that's the beauty of the resurrection. The beauty of the, of the resurrection of Jesus is that it demands a response, a response from every single one of us. And I'm, I'm wondering, I wonder if you can actually see Jesus for who he is this morning. That as I've been describing Jesus, he's not only this creator of the universe, he's not only the sustainer of all things, He's not only the reason why we all have been created, but Jesus also loves you today. That's why he's made salvation available. He loves you. And so as we think about the supremacy of Jesus and how big and vast he is, don't lose the intimate reality of his love for you. That the creator of the universe, God up on a cross, And he died in your place because he loves you. Because he he wanted to make a way for you to be forgiven. And I wonder, can you see him this morning? Can you truly see him? Maybe there's some of us who are in this room and and you're saying to yourself, man, I, I thought I could see Jesus. I thought I knew him. But now I really see him as the resurrected King of kings, my savior. And maybe you're here and you want to make a response. You want to put your faith in Jesus right now in this moment and become saved, become a Christian to experience this forgiveness, this cleansing from your sin. We would love to create that opportunity for you right now in this moment. Before we sing our last song, would you just bow your heads just for a moment? For those of you who are saying, man, I I want to give my life to Jesus. I want this salvation. I want this forgiveness. I'm just going to give you some language to use in this moment for you right where you are, just to cry out to God for salvation. First and foremost, confess the fact that you're a sinner, that you cannot save yourself, to cry out to Jesus and say, I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me, that you paid my penalty, to tell Jesus that you believe that he rose from the dead, and that you want to accept this free gift of eternal life by trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. If you want to make that decision, do that right now and cry out to the Lord Jesus.
you made that decision, if you just placed your faith in Jesus, we would love to follow up with you. If you would just stop by the next steps area, we'd love to come alongside you and show you what it means to follow after Christ. Let's pray together. God, we do stop and we give you praise for King Jesus. We thank you for the living hope that we have in him. We thank you that he conquered the grave, that he has the victory over Satan, that he broke the power of sin once and for all. God, we thank you for this truth that we celebrate today. I pray that we would live different lives because we actually believe it, that you would fill us with this resurrection power to be obedient to what you've called us to do and how to live. But Jesus, we praise you for doing what none of us could have done, for providing a way for us to be forgiven and to be saved. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.